0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It's time for football.
1: Salah. Escape Cancelo oh, That's brilliant from Mo Salah. And still, Salah. Oh, sensational! Absolutely sensational!
0: Just for kicks on BFM
1: 89.9. Hello and welcome to Just for Kicks with myself, Cam Ruslan, and we're going to be this week talking about Premier League midweek action, looking forward to the weekend's action, talking deadline day uh, action and some Malaysian football. Uh, I've just suddenly dumped that on one of uh, our pundits, uh, Mr. Des Corkill.
2: Delighted to be back. my sojourn back in uh, Kuala Lumpur and uh, keeping an eye on what's going on in the world of domestic and international football, all 98 minutes of it.
1: <laughs> oh fantastic and uh and and we also have akeshika Subaru
3: hello everyone
1: who actually coaches football, so uh have to be uh, on our best behavior there and uh finally, the legendary uh, I have been told it's it's in his contract to call him that now the legendary Bob Holmes uh
4: there's no truth in the rumor, but I am here. <laughs>
1: So uh, I want to start off by uh, looking at just a couple of the matches that happened during the week. There were many. Uh, we will reference the other ones as we go along, as we look forward. And I want to start, actually, uh, Keshika, if I may, with you. Southampton 2, Chelsea 1. So Chelsea is now officially the Crisis Club. And I, um, I'm... I'm sort of struggling to put my finger on what's wrong. Something is clearly wrong with Chelsea. And uh, they've just, I believe, uh, managed to get uh, Aubameyang. Uh, but that seems to be, in my mind, the thing that's missing. is not just a striker, but being set up for a striker. I mean, I, I, do you think so?
3: I think the problem that they're having right now is more at the back in defence because the defense seemed to lack pace. So when you don't have a striker and your defense lacks pace, that's going to be adding to the way that you're going to be able to play. Like, if you don't have striker, you're not actually attacking much, and we've seen them try, but if you're not able to defend, then you're losing out in terms of pressure on both ends of the pitch. So if you're actually constantly attacking, that takes the pressure off defense, but they're also not doing that. So currently, I believe the mess is both at the back and the lack of striker.
1: Hmm. So I wasn't too far off. Phew. <laughs> uh, Des, I mean, do you, do, you, do you concur with that on Chelsea, but also Southampton? They're actually high flying in the league right now. And I always uh, dismiss them, but they are presently ninth. Can they possibly continue this?
2: Well, I saw Southampton on the opening day of the season in the 4-1 loss to Tottenham. I was at Tottenham Stadium, and they were rank. They were dreadful, and I immediately posted them down relegation candidates because they they hardly had a pass to put together. They had James Ward-Prowse, and that was it. They seem to have uh, put it together. They um, the the team that played the team that beat Chelsea was a uh, very different to the one that beat um, uh, that, that was hammered by Tottenham. Uh, so they, they've added steel in there. I think there'll always be a a lower to relegation-threatened team, um, but they but they've really put their their trust in youth. And here you go. Here's, here's an, an interesting comparison between Southampton and Chelsea. I don't think Thomas Tuchel is making these signings. I think Todd Bowley, the, uh, the the new owner, is the guy who's pushing these signings. This is the Manchester United syndrome. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer did not sign Cristiano Ronaldo, and now um, Ten Hag has come in. He sorted the Ronaldo issue out and suddenly Manchester United a completely different proposition. You've got to let your coach be in charge. Southampton, they've let their coach, Ralph Ralph Hassenhuttle be in charge. They've trusted him to put in a couple of 18-year-old kids, um, in uh, Lavia, in the heart of midfield. An 18-year-old playing in the heart of midfield in in this Super League. And he's coming up good. He scored a cracking goal against Chelsea and wasn't um, uh, outmanned by anybody. And this is all about your coach, having the responsibility and being given the responsibility to have the game plan. Chelsea, it's scattergun. It really is. Where did Aubameyang come from? How is he going to fit into that system? He's a wonderful player, but how does he fit into the Chelsea philosophy um, or the Chelsea idea of playing? I've no idea. So um, it all comes to trusting your coach. And Thomas Tuchel, I've never seen him so uh, angry uh, or uh, taciturn on, on the sideline. He's arguing with everybody. I don't think he is being allowed to control that football club. And therein lies your problem. Everyone else at the big clubs, the uh, the coaches in charge. I don't think at Chelsea at this moment.
1: Wow! Uh, and as a Liverpool fan, which uh, which uh, Southampton player are you going to take uh, next season?
2: Uh, we, 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 <laughs> they, they've got more from us now. They've they, they've got a few of our boys.
1: Okay. Well, <laughs> uh,
4: just on that, uh, Des. The uh, the idea of Chelsea not being run by the manager is not exactly a new concept, is it? I mean, they had 23 years of Roman Abramovich. And I think you have to say that his transfer policy was scattergun at best. Um, I mean, a lot of the time, various managers didn't make the signings, yet somehow they, uh, they won more trophies in his era than any other club. So... It's not strange for Chelsea to be doing this,
2: but it's it's not helpful. It's not helpful for Thomas. I don't know how
4: they did do it, to be honest. But I mean, that has that was the way. I mean, Frank Lampard didn't seem to be making many signings, did he? Of of his of his choice, for example, Uh, Mourinho did obviously in the beginning. But um, they've, they've not done too badly with this yeah. catacomb policy, which defies logic, but there it is. The trophies are there.
1: Can I just say that I know that uh, that Bob Holmes there, that is what we call time-wasting, because he knows what's next on the running order, <laughs> and he doesn't want <laughs> to really talk it. about it. Oh, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> because Bob Holmes, um, Manchester City, 6, Nottingham Forest, nil. Now, I don't really no if we learn a whole lot here manchester city incredibly good but what about did we learn anything about forest and presumably they're going to sack the manager now <laughs> uh
4: no they won't be doing that uh but uh it, it was a reality check but uh forrest went there expecting i think a bit of a hiding and hoping to keep it down to respectable proportions which they didn't do. Uh, I think they were found out. The uh, central defenders seem to be the weakness. They're a bit slow. Uh, they're okay in the championship, but they haven't really made the step up. And amid all the signings that Forrest have made, 21 or 22, I think, uh, <laughs> you know, we've lost count. Uh, there's only been one... Uh, established uh, central defender. They managed to sneak another one in just before the deadline. Remy bad from France. I hope he's not a bad player. Um, He's uh, we do need some younger, quicker central defenders. Um, They've, they've bought three left backs two right backs about seven or eight midfielders um, and quite a few strikers. But, uh, it's central defence that's the weakness. And uh, there's no uh, no great surprise that Haaland took advantage and scored his second hat-trick in a few days. He's uh, Let's
1: talk about City a bit, can we? Um, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, City. yeah. But let, let, let's let someone else have
3: a okay show, talk okay. about City.
1: Uh, Keshika, Um my my admiration for Pep Guardiola actually keeps going up and up because he's from Barcelona and Bas- Gary Lineker was at Barcelona and they didn't like him there because the famously they said he just only scores goals. And now they have this guy Haaland. Um and all he does is score goals. He he's uh, Pep Guardiola's managed to fit him into his system. It's incredible.
3: I think that's the the sign of like a good manager because the, one of the biggest traits that we always get told is how good you are as a coach or a manager is based on how adaptable you are. And I think that's exactly what um, Guardiola has done. Before this, everyone always constantly talk about how everything that he does is possession-based football, but that's clearly not true anymore as well. So I feel like he's able to adapt with the different trends and different times and different leagues that he's been at. And that's why he's one of the most successful managers.
1: Des, do you want to say something nice about uh, Man City?
2: Yeah, I do, but I I don't think Pep Guardiola's changed things at all. I think all all that Haaland has done is he's on the six-yard box and scoring the goals. You look at the number of goals he's scoring in and around the six-yard box. So City are still playing these passing movements, except a few more headers coming in, and Haaland's on the edge of it. His first goal against Forest. He's the only player in the league who would score that. The strength he showed to get in ahead of the um, uh, the, the centre-back and then put it in the in, in the top of the net, superb. His other two are tap-ins. City have been having these tap-ins opportunities for, for years, and we've been wondering, oh, will Haaland fit into that? Well, terrifyingly, terrifyingly, Haaland is fitting into that, just patting the ball into the, the back of the net. Plus, he can go from 30 yards. Plus, he can run in behind the back. It's... Um, I don't think City have changed. I think Haaland has just added something to them, which is worrying. They're going to win this title by a country mile. Mm.
1: I do maintain I could have scored two of those Haaland goals.
2: No, you couldn't, mate, because you (laughs) wouldn't have been in the right place at the right time.
1: If somebody had put me in the right place. uh... Therein (laughs)
2: lies the skill, my friend.
1: (laughs) Oh, damn it. So, uh, okay, we're going to take a a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be looking forward to the uh, weekend's matches here on Just for Kicks. On BFM 89.9.
0: More football when we come back. Just for kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for kicks on BFM 89.9.
1: And we're back. And now with myself, uh, Cam, there's uh, Kashika, Bob and Dez. And now we're going to look forward to uh, the matches over the weekend, bearing in mind what we've just seen as well. And the big one, well, it would have been the big one in in the mid-90s, and it's still a big one. Uh, Bob, Manchester United versus Arsenal. Arsenal, the new invincibles, uh, four, four wins on the chart. They look pretty complete to me, but Manchester United are kind of getting it together again. This could be good.
4: Yes, it could. Uh, it's the most mouth-watering Man United-Arsenal game, I think, for some time, probably five or ten years even. I mean, this was the clash, wasn't it, at when uh, Fergie and uh, Wenger were at their peak and both clubs have, have gone downhill uh, rather dramatically since that. But they seem to be getting it together, even United. Three wins on a uh, the bounce uh, doesn't make a season, but they are showing good signs, I think. There is a togetherness there that there hadn't been in the first two games, the first two disasters against... Brighton and Brentford. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say they were disasters, but that's what led to the change and the decision to bench uh, Ronaldo and give uh, vent to youth, and it's paying off in spades. And we're likely to see a new £82 million signing, a Brazilian, Anthony, from uh, Ajax, uh, I don't know whether he's going to start in this game. Probably more likely on the bench, but uh, we'll probably see him. Uh, looks like he's a bit, um, you know, paid a bit too much for him in the panic, as many clubs have. Uh, but uh, he's got he's got pace. He's a Brazilian. Um, he was pretty good at Ajax, but uh, we'll see what what he brings to the table. Very hard to call this one. You would have said Arsenal. Uh, a week or so ago, but with this momentum that United have got and with the crowd behind them, and I think what we're seeing this season increasingly is the influence of the crowd. They seem to be more voluble than before. I don't know if it was post-COVID or what, but and games, uh, goals are being celebrated as if championships have been won I, I don't know if you, the others, noticed that, but certainly the games I've been watching. Um, so I think the crowd is going to have a big uh, play a big role in this, and that could swing it for United. They certainly helped in the game against Liverpool, which was the turning point I think for United's season, and they've built on that mm. since.
1: So well, I think that that could that could just do it and put it in United's favour. Yeah. Well, Keshika, you are a Manchester United fan. At the beginning of the season, you're a very unhappy person. But uh, you seem, uh, you're seem you probably a bit happier now. What on earth has happened? They they seem to be sewn together better. I, I, what what have they done?
3: I think Ten Hag has brought in a more order to the team. And he's done things that maybe our previous managers weren't able to, which is, I think previously they were trying to cater to everyone in the team. But Ten Hag, I feel, is very clear of what he want to achieve and who he needs in order to achieve those things. So I don't think, I don't see any other manager would be able to say no to Ronaldo and bench him and then not to start Maguire as well. So I think one of those um, big changes was the manager himself. But I would also say at the same time, we've only had three wins in a row, but it wasn't massively convincing. So I'm so not it was sure. was was not? It was not. It was not. Mm-hmm. So
1: you, you, you would hope to see a, a convincing win. I mean, you know, a win is a win.
3: I think a performance. A win is a win. Three points is three points. But if they're able to perform consistently, that would actually add more value to the team because you know that that's when you know the team has come together and are able to pull those um, performance out.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, Des, I want to I want to take you to I want to take you to London, uh, a London derby: Tottenham Hotspur, Fulham. Over the over the the midweek, um, Spurs managed to get a draw through an own goal. Fulham managed to do well with an own goal, and I am really I'm impressed by both these teams. Um, th- th- there's a spine to Spurs, but there's, I don't know Mitrovic for Fulham. It's, uh, it's it's it could be a good match.
2: Uh, it, it it could be. Uh, I, I, I do think Tottenham are the real deal, but they've got. Um, with, with, with all the top teams, with Arsenal, they've they got a fabulous starting 11. Manchester United have got a settled starting 11. Tottenham have got a, a, arguably the best starting 11 in the league, or apart from Manchester City. But when one or two of them, two of the, that best 11 are missing, they begin to have problems. Betancourt is so important to Tottenham. He's the destroyer, simple, wins it gives the opportunity to to the forwards to play. And defensively, uh, Romero has has come in and he was the strong man at the back. Those two are out injured and that immediately makes Tottenham a different team. Still a very strong team, but not as potent, not as as nasty, which is something that you need at the the, the top level. Man City have got their nasty players. Rodri can put himself about and so can the centre-backs. And so you need that nastiness. And I think Tottenham missed that. Fulham have always been nice, but Mitrovic has always been a nasty man in that it's a <laughs> the bully He's strong. I think it was a real surprise that he didn't do well in his first season uh, in in the Premier League, and everybody gave him stick over it. Um, I'm surprised he's doing so well in this second season. Um, sorry, I'm not surprised he's doing so well this second season because he's a good player. He's done it regularly on the international stage. He's done it regularly at the uh, Championship level. You give this fella chances, he'll score. I'm still favouring Tottenham on this because I think Fulham are a little bit lightweight without Mitrovic uh, with Mitrovic's con- um, contribution. But yeah, Fulham. I can't see them going down. They're they a uh, lower mid-table. Tottenham need this after the draw against West Ham. So Tottenham to take it but not convincingly.
1: Yeah, uh Bob it's interesting here uh, that Des talking about how Fulham have this reputation for being nice. They do, don't they? I guess they kind of rival Norwich for sort of like the nicest club around. Um but uh <laughs> Spurs n- not necessarily always called nice, but a bit flaky, but up until just a couple well, last weekend really. I was thinking Spurs for the title, but uh, the, the the others are, are coming around. Can Spurs really? Can they? Can they really push on? Well, they're not Spursy anymore, no. um,
4: and uh, I think they do have a a, a good starting eleven. But um, Des mentioned Romero. Uh, I. I would be looking forward to the clash between Romero and Mitrovic yes, if, yes. <laughs> if Romero's fit. Um, yeah, he's not. That's, he's, he's definitely out, is he? Mm. Uh, well, that's a pity, isn't it? That might just give Fulham the edge, you know. Um, I mean, they've been playing some very nice uh, football, nice and nasty football, um, and uh, they've actually strengthened the side. They've bought Willian, you know, well, whether yeah. you consider that uh, strengthening is that's uh, that's up for debate. I think Arsenal fans may say otherwise because he flopped there, but he was great at Chelsea.
1: That was a long and, time ago.
4: Yeah, uh, he's he thirty. He's thirty-four now. Well, he's oh. been he's been brought in just as a a kind of a temporary signing. He's not costing anything apart from his wages, and I think he can do a job. I mean, he'll be on the bench and coming on at the right time that sort of thing but he um he could he could be a factor i think he's quite a good signing free free agent uh and uh i think they've got a and they've got uh, Palinha, the portuguese guy central defender who has really showed uh, his strength he's taken to premier league football uh, as if to the man are born uh, so there's been some fairly good uh, recruitment uh, by fulham and uh, I think they've they've got a fighting chance here because Spurs Spurs haven't really been playing consistently well. They were getting the results, and everybody was saying, "Oh, this is a new Spurs. This is typical Conte." Uh, you know, winning yeah, when you, you're not you're playing. You were one of well. those,
1: everybody. So, so
4: yeah, I did say that. I did say that. <laughs> but they they've played a couple of matches since uh, the game against Forest and the game against West Ham. And they didn't look that good, to be honest. Uh, I mean, Forrest, okay, they um, I'm biased and all that, but a lot of people said that Forrest actually played Spurs, dominated the midfield. I mean, Spurs got the, the goals and did the business at the business end, and it was probably a deserved win. But really, we expected to see more from Spurs in that game and also against West Ham. I think West Ham were possibly a bit unlucky uh not to get the win so uh spurs have got a bit of uh improving to do and and they have they haven't got anything out of son this season one of their world-class stars uh something wrong there i think he needs a goal he would probably be all right once he gets a goal but yeah. uh, i'd say fulham have got a, a a bit of a chance here
1: uh okay well uh i think it'd be a fascinating um Match that. So I've been looking forward to that one. Uh, Kashiko, I want to take you to Brighton versus Leicester. Brighton and Hove Albion, sorry to 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 those who are the Hove Albion part of that club, um, they're fourth uh, above Manchester United and Liverpool. I know it's early, but I didn't even think they would get to there. And Leicester, meanwhile, are at the bottom of the table. And that is incredibly discouraging. This, <laughs> it's like a changing of the guard. It's as if Brighton are the new
3: Leicester. I think Brighton, for the past few seasons, they've always done well in spurts. It's not consistent, but you knew that big teams going to Amex Stadium would struggle against um, Brighton. But I think this season, it could be one of those things where it just switched on for them and they could maintain this consistency and stay at the top half of the table. But I think Leicester... I don't think Brandon Rogers would want to be there for much longer. I don't think that's a team that's suitable for him. Um, I don't think the style of play or the team culture suits him, and uh, it's not very inspiring to see them play any of their matches in the past couple of weeks.
1: No, it's not. Uh, but uh, Brighton, you were saying Kashika, they, you think they're set up to not lose? Uh, I mean, they set up for each match according to not lose so they don't have they don't have an individual identity
3: I think that they spent the past couple of seasons developing an identity but I don't think it quite gelled yet but I do know that for the big fixtures they do turn up
1: right so uh, Des Brendan Rogers, who who has I don't want to be talking about him in the past tense he's had a great career though and uh, I don't know I, I've, I've got a real soft spot for, for Leicester but this is, this is a terrifying slump.
2: Yeah, there's something going on uh, behind the scenes. Uh, I, I, I hear talks of a transfer ban, uh, oh. which, is, which is quietly done. They lost Kasper Schmeichel, one of their leaders. Their leader is 154-year-old Johnny Evans at one end of the pitch and 200-year-old Jamie Vardy at the other end of the pitch. Yuri uh, Toilemans is constantly being linked with, with other teams, as is James Madison. They've just lost Fafana. So basically they are they are a team who aren't able to spend players, are more in danger of losing players. And Brendan Rodgers is a fabulous coach, uh, a really, really good coach. And again, Cash, uh, I've got to disagree with you a little bit. I think he fashioned Leicester into a, a team. Remember, he won the cup final with them uh, two seasons ago and they were consistently uh, looked look to be top 10 outside chance of making Europe. He, I think he's had the ground cut from underneath him. So I'll agree with Cash in that uh, it might not be a fit now because he won't get the resources that, that he deserves. But there's something seriously wrong at Leicester, and uh, unless they're able to bring some players in, I'm not seeing anybody off the bench who's going to come in and really get them out of a relegation battle. Um, I, th- I think there's real problems there. They were they were timorous against Man United uh, last night. Uh, they offered very very little. Um, oh, cool, real problems. Uh, Brendan Rodgers, I don't think will back, uh, will avoid the fight. Uh, it, it may well be taken off them, I'm afraid.
1: Because you really yeah. can't see a turnaround, can you? No, it's, you can't. Uh, I
2: don't yeah. see I don't see how or where or who, um, other than good coaching, is going to get them out of problems.
4: Yeah, well, they spent a well, hundred million pounds on a training ground instead of on the team, and I think well, that's well, where it's. That's well, where well, it's at. Yeah, uh, the owners apparently they have money. It's not not that they're on the verge of bankruptcy or anything. But they've decided to invest in infrastructure and build for the future. No bad thing. No bad thing. Well, it sounds all very hunky-dory, but if they get relegated while they're doing it, and a lot of clubs, you can go back years, and when clubs start rebuilding the stadium and neglecting the team... There's a history of them going down.
1: Mm. Well, uh, funny you should say that, because in a moment after the break, we're going to be talking about Everton here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9.
0: More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9.
1: And we're back on Just for Kicks uh, with Des Corkill, Keshika Subarau and Bob Holmes. And now, um, well, Bob, I want to go over you first. I want to talk about uh, the Merseyside derby, Everton versus Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool, I thought, were quite amazing in the midweek when they fought back. You were talking about the crowd being important. Everton need all the help they can get, and uh, the Goodison crowd are famous for their ability to lift. Everton got a chance in this?
4: Oh, yes, they've got a chance. A derby win for Everton is long overdue. And they have strengthened the side. I think they've done quite well in the in the transfer window. They brought somebody in from Brighton. I can't understand why Brighton, who never score, have sold a striker. The only guy who knows where the goal is, Neil Mopay. I mean, he's only a 10 goals a season man. But that's about eight or nine more than anybody else at Brighton. Anyway, Everton have got him. Um, because Calvert Lewin is still out with a long-term injury, and they sold Richarlison, so they were a bit light there. But uh, they've uh, they've also signed uh, James Garner from Man United, who was at Forest uh, last season, uh, mid in midfield. Uh, and uh, I think that they they all feel that this is possibly a big chance to beat Liverpool, although Liverpool. Uh, were were lifted by that last minute uh winner in midweek Kloppage time they called it I <laughs> thought that was rather good um or Yergi time someone else came up with equally good uh yeah liverpool boosted by that but everton will sense that they it's on their own ground they're overdue a win they're due some luck in this fixture uh they'll be they'll be up for it but Liverpool have just signed a player, you know, a midfielder, Arthur Mello. Uh He came uh, out of Brazil with a big, big reputation a few years ago, but hasn't quite delivered in Europe. Barcelona had him, Juventus had him, and uh, not all Liverpool fans are, are really chuffed that he's signed because he's, he's not done anything for quite a while. But as I say, he had... Um, a great rap from uh, Brazil. Uh, he played twenty odd games for the Brazilian national team. He's got ability, and it will be very interesting to see how he does uh, for for Liverpool in in the Premier League.
1: Hmm. Well, uh, Arthur Mello. It sounds like he was a I don't know a sitcom character in the nineteen seventies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
4: Arthur Daly or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Hey, uh, Des. I don't know. Uh, Bob there is rather optimistic for for Everton. I thought that the the key thing that caught my eye over the, the week was the fight back. Forget the the skills involved. The fact that Liverpool came back 97th minute winner, I thought that was really a sign of something.
2: Uh, absolutely. Um, the, the, the crowd was was very important. It's very interesting, having just been to the UK, to, to see the international versions of what's going on at Liverpool and Everton and compare it to the local versions of what's uh, Perception Liverpool and Everton are. They're very, very different. Uh, On Merseyside, Mello is seen as a welcome addition because of the injury problems. Uh, Everton seemed to be in a very, very good place under Frank Lampard and with Bramley Moore coming up. So there's optimism in in both camps, but they need some results. Uh, Liverpool needed that win against Newcastle. They were second best for an hour. Then Bobby Firmino got in. Then Newcastle started the most awful time-wasting time. Atletico Madrid kind of time wasting stuff. <laughs> Everton kind of time wasting stuff. If you remember the game last year when when Everton were, were going down and and they're, they're, to be fair they got just rewards by being done so so late um at 98th minute. Um I hate that that side of football. I've hated it not only against Liverpool I've hated it against everybody. Hate it particularly Malaysia when uh, players go down completely completely with without um any any merit for it. So uh, but Liverpool needed that win. The crowd was behind them. Everton's crowd are really behind Frank Lampard. So it'll be a pumping atmosphere, even though it's 12.30. um, One or two beers will have been supped earlier on in in the day. So it'll be a pumping atmosphere. Important for both clubs. More important, I think, for Liverpool not to lose touch with the guys at the top because it's going to be so incredibly competitive. Um, Everton, uh, they'd be thrilled, I think, with a draw.
1: But uh, you you haven't given a prediction.
2: Uh, My prediction is Liverpool just to sneak it. Um, but it'll be it'll be not for the faint-hearted. I don't think Arthur Miller will make his debut in this one because there'll be a lot of big tackles flying in. I,
1: I can't get over that name, Arthur Miller.
2: Arthur, <laughs> That's just call him Arthur.
1: Okay. <laughs> um Keshe Kerr, meanwhile, um, Liverpool's midweek opponents, New, Newcastle, are going to be playing Crystal Palace. They're 12th and 13th in the table. I think they've both been kind of revelations in their own way. Uh, I... I, I couldn't say who's going to win this one, but what, what do you see happening? How do you think um, Newcastle will line up with the new signing?
3: I think Newcastle did very well against um, Liverpool, and they've been very sensible in terms of their signings as well, because initially when they had the new owners come in, everyone thought it's going to be all the big names, but they've actually bought very carefully and they've bought players that they need in terms to fit the club culture and the playing style rather than... Just big names to get the fans back backing. So I think they're doing things in a very sensible way. Um, not the time wasting, but everything else. They've done it very calculatively. So I actually think they've got a good shot at finishing like mid-table or reaching the top half of the table. But Crystal Palace have also been playing really well. So I think this is gonna be a very good fixture.
1: Yeah, I I think it is too. Des gonna to come straight back to you. Um this is you know, you've got the, the top teams, are still the top teams, six or so, but there's this new batch of kind of the top, middle, upper that are really strong. The Crystal Palace is the the Newcastle's. I don't think we've we've it would always used to be just Everton, but now there's a whole new batch. Uh,
2: Newcastle with them with the money, although they've they've spent dili- um, um, well, they have spent a lot of money. Ishak has just come in for 60 million. He was heavily sought after. Uh, he's, uh, so when Newcastle are at their best, I think they will be able to really compete, maybe not this season, but certainly next season for top four. That's what was so disappointing with what they did against Liverpool, because they were on top for so long. And then they seemed to shrink back into the, oh, it's Liverpool. We we can't win at Liverpool. Um, and, and they didn't. But but if they'd have gone for it. I think that the, Liverpool were there for for the taking on on, on the counter attack. So they've got to think like a big club. That's that's the the thing. They are going to be standout standout um, because of the money, if nothing else, and the sensibleness of, of, of Eddie Howe. Palace, I think top ten is about as far as they can get because of the financial problems or the financial limitations. You just can't compete at that top level. As soon as they get a superstar player, they'll lose him because one of the big boys will buy him. Uh, Vieira is doing brilliantly. They're going to be a, a Burnley-esque. They'll be in the top parts for four or five seasons, and then the, the money will be taken away from them. They'll drop down. So they're one of these yo-yo clubs, but one of the better-run yo-yo clubs.
1: Oh, that's rather a sad scenario. Uh, <laughs>
2: it's modern football. It's devastating. It's horrible. I've been talking about it for over a decade.
1: Hmm. Hey, uh, Bob, we're going to go back now to um, to Nottingham Forest. I keep coming back. Why do I keep coming to you, Bob? (laughs) Nottingham Forest versus Bournemouth. And quite strangely, we're talking about 15th against 16th. Bournemouth, we're going to talk maybe more about, well, let's talk about it now. Um, Should Bournemouth have sacked Scott Parker?
4: Uh, No, I don't think so. Uh, He didn't handle himself very well at the end of the 9-0 thrashing but uh he had just taken them up from uh, the championship into the premier league and i think the owner should have been a little bit more grateful there for that it's not easy to do Uh, he didn't have a lot of money to do that and he didn't get a lot of money uh, for the start of the season uh perhaps he shouldn't have said that in the press conference uh you know the, the, the that being uh the- criticizing his own the owner for not spending basically that's what he was saying he didn't have enough money
1: hmm. uh
4: which is yeah i mean uh anybody can tell you you don't you don't criticize your boss really do you if you expect to stay in the job and that's what he did but uh to answer your question no um and so all that he did last season building the club up and getting it out of a very tough league counts for nothing, just because of uh, a few words, misplaced words in a press conference after a 9-0 defeat. Um, I don't think that is right. I don't think he should have been sacked. But um, Forrest and Bournemouth is intriguing because they've both had similar hidings, 1-6-0, 1-9-0. And, and Forrest fans were... I know they were they were glad when they saw the next fixture after City was at home to Bournemouth of all people, and they think this is the perfect team to play against uh, to get over the uh, the drubbing they had from City. Well, it it, is, it does look like that on paper. I can understand that point of view, but they shouldn't get too complacent about it. Bournemouth have played since and got a draw, so in uh, without a manager. So uh they're not the mug quite the mugs that uh some people think they are, and they beat Forrest a few months ago in a in a big, big clash game. at the top mm. of the championship mm. so Forrest shouldn't be taking this lightly so it uh, could
1: be nine six Can it'd be, we look right? <laughs> well, that'd, that'd be worth watching
4: the highlights sure, for, no, wouldn't I'
1: love that <laughs> yeah hey, I, I, Keke I want to go to you I want to ask the same question It seems like it's the saddest thing that the worst thing you can do for your job security is be a manager taking a club to promotion to the premier league and yeah should scott parker cuz the the word is that the owners don't want to spend money because they they they're assuming themselves to be a yo-yo club they're assuming they're going to go down whereas scott parker is the one who's saying he has the ambition to stay there and he i think he's done well at, he did well at, at fulham in the past should they, if, as Bob says, an employee implied something bad about the boss in public, should he go?
3: I don't think he should have been fired for that reason, considering everything that he's done with the club and for the club. He's clearly capable, and I don't think it's going to be easy to replace him either. But I feel like it sh- it could have been something that ha- can be resolved internally. I don't think what he's done is right. There's better avenues and ways to communicate that. But... I don't think he should have been fired. Um, initially before it came out that he was fired for those reasons, people were saying that he was fired based on bad performance. But if you look at their fixtures, they played big teams previously as well. Mm. So I don't think there was an expectation for them to come in and win all of those games either. So I think he was dismissed quite unfairly.
1: I I think if at the beginning they had of the season, they thought at this point they would have four points, they would be okay with that because of all the teams they've just played. I mean, Des, I'd like your thoughts on this.
2: So before the start of the season, when they got promoted, it was a stated club policy that they weren't going to invest in players. They didn't. Uh, they, they wouldn't buy Nat Phillips and Liverpool because they wouldn't pay his wages. And the wages, although to most of us they're extreme, were pretty insignificant for, for a Premier League club. And Scott Parker bought into that. He bought into that beforehand. They've invested $30 behind the scenes in developing uh, an academy and in in developing um, uh, facilities, etc. So this was the known club philosophy coming into this season. It was publicly debated uh, about where Bournemouth is going to go down. And Scott Parker bought into that. Scott Parker then, for understandable reasons, you've just been tonked 9-0 at Anfield, your professional pride is hurt, but he bought into it. For him to then go and badmouth um, his, his 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 um directors in the way that he did, I don't think the directors really had a choice. Um, they they could might have done it a little bit more subtly. They might have said, "Listen, you resign or or, or something," but you cannot have one stance at the start of the season and then change your mind when you've bought into that stance. I think that's not fair um, from from Scott Parker. So I I understand Bournemouth. It's I I, I sympathise with Scott Parker. But the club philosophy was known. And so it had nothing so to do with the scoreline? Can... Uh, no, he's bad mouthed them. Uh, the the scoreline doesn't help, but he's bad mouthed them publicly. You can't do that. You can't.
1: Mm. Okay. Well, having said that, I think Scott, I, think, I do think we have certainly not seen the end of Scott Parker, manager. Uh, I think he'll be back. He's one of my favorite players.
2: Oh, Uh, So so long as he doesn't badmouth uh, uh, managers, that's all right. Just compare what Klopp did. Klopp said, yeah, I'm not in charge of the purse strings at Liverpool. I wish we'd be more adventurous, but that's the system that we have. So even though Liverpool are under a bit of pressure, Klopp has said that. Ten Hag has said something similar. I I want to be in charge. The Glazers are there. They've been very supportive. You've got to support. You've got to be united from the very, very top down. And Bournemouth were not that, and their, their coach was the main problem there.
1: Okay all right told me in public publicly embarrass me so (laughs) what can my response be des i'm not on the
2: show next week
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes anyway uh we move on and in a moment we're going to be looking just at one more match and then we're going to look at the transfer market and some malaysian football here on just for kicks on bfm 89.9
0: more football when we come back just for kicks bfm 89.9 just for Kicks on BFM
1: 89.9. And we're back in part four of Just for Kicks with Bob, Keshka and Dez. And uh, very quickly, uh, Bob, Brentford versus Leeds. Both clubs, both teams have had really great starts and they're pitted against each other. They're uh, equal in so many ways. And, uh, I mean, Leeds are seventh. Whoever's it's like an evolution from Bielsa as well. It's not like a radical change. What are they doing right? Uh,
4: Well, they're a very, very fit team. And that certainly is a continuation of the Bielsa philosophy. I mean, he was uh, bringing them in and they were, they were spending eight or nine hours a day at the training ground, like uh, normal people do in their jobs. The footballers are not used to that, but uh, they were having uh, double sessions, and uh, he really, really did get them fit. And Jesse Marsh, his successor, has pretty much continued that uh, policy. And uh, he's he's brought in some young players that he knew in Europe because he was he was in charge in uh, Austria and Germany before coming to the UK. Um, I did mention one a couple of weeks ago, uh, Aronson, the American. I think we've all seen what a. What a player he is. A little nippy uh, guy, completely different type of forward to Haaland, of course, but very effective. And he uh, picked the pocket of the Chelsea keeper uh, a couple of weeks ago to score that that memorable goal, didn't he, against, uh, for Leeds against Chelsea? My
1: favourite kind of goal, that. I love that kind of
4: goal. <laughs> well, that was, that was uh, Brendan Aronson. And uh, he epitomises this Leeds approach, uh, absolutely gung-ho, running all over the field i think they ran in one game it was worked out that collectively they they ran a couple of kilometers more than their opponents uh, which is quite a bit when you when you consider it um 11 players in the on the field um so i think it's down to fitness and also i think he's got the spirit back having escaped, the drop just by the skin of their teeth last season. I think that uh, they put that behind them and they're starting all over again. And they, uh, they've they made one or two uh, fairly decent signings without breaking the bank. And it's a very positive outlook at Leeds now. Mm. Uh, they, they're not, I don't think that they uh, regard themselves as uh, relegation candidates, but um, they're going to have a go. Uh, they'll probably be, mid table I, I i think for them safely mid table i don't think they'll uh, they'll be uh, need to worry about relegation but yeah. they won't be threatening either they won't be they won't yeah. be threatening the top 6
1: well I, I look forward to seeing arvin Sidhu's happy face on the monday show it's it's so it's just awful when when leeds lose because he's just he loses the will to live uh, keshika can i ask uh, i've been mean, I mean to ask you this for a while is it possible to be too fit Can these players be um, overworked and can you sustain it for an entire season? I mean, this seems to be the problem with Bielsa.
3: I think you can, but that's why you do things like periodization, where you need to know when to push and when to relax. And if you don't do that well, it's going to mess up the way your body responds to the intensity of the season. So if that's done really well. And I think Bielsa is one of those that actually introduced that to um a more mainstream football if you do it right then it's fine but i do think that injury prevention as part of the periodization program makes a difference it's something that's quite delicate and needs to be hit right and it's all down to the tiny details
1: you you just said a word that i'd never heard of before periodization so so they they run around for 90 minutes one week and then the next minute they can just sit in front of the tv and uh eat chips (laughs) Drink, so yeah. it's
3: basically like if you train for, if you look at it in one block, you have days like after the match where you train in lower intensity, middle of the week, you go high intensity, then you drop back to a medium intensity before the match. So that prevents injury and it helps your body to adapt to fitness. It's oversimplification, but that's sort of the general idea.
1: Uh, but then also factoring in the, a, a World Cup mid-season, then when mm-hmm. you give your players away to a whole new system, then that could ruin everything, couldn't it?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Damn oh, om-
1: well,
4: ominously, for uh, any other team besides City, Haaland is going to have a month off.
1: <laughs> you know, i speaking of how very quickly, I tried to do the maths to work out if he continues scoring at the present rate that he scored already, how many <laughs> goals will he score by the end of the season? And what I concluded was, I can't do maths. <laughs> so so uh, before we talk uh, Malaysian football, I want to do uh, quite quickly about um, the transfer window. Bob, I want to ask you who's the winner and the loser in the transfer uh, window? And Oh, well, uh, for another day about the bedding in of 50 new players at Nottingham Forest, but who won the transfer window? Well, we we don't know who wins the transfer window and
4: probably until the end of the season, to be honest. But I know what you're talking about. Um, Chelsea spent the most, even more than Forest, it might, it might surprise you, uh, £260 million. That's over a billion ringgit. On players, not all of whom we have heard of. Um, I mean, uh, some of them uh they well, th- there was one they were trying to offer 80 million at the at the last minute, they didn't get in through the door. Uh Guadiol, I've never heard of him, but they were they were prepared to pay 80 million. They did get Fafana through the door for 70 plus million. Fafana from Leicester is a very good young player. But they have bought um, Koulibaly for 35 million. So they're completely changing their central defense. I don't know whether you call that winning the transfer window. We'll only see in the, uh, the end of the season. Uh, some have been more judicious than others. Uh, I mean, look at Liverpool. Uh, only, I mean, they, they did their business early doors. Uh, they got Darwin Nunes, jury very much out on him. But he is still the highest, actually, at 85 million. It goes up to 85 million if they win everything uh, for Darwin Nunes. But they did that early in the season, and they bought a couple of other younger players. Cavallo. you've seen how good he is. Uh, Cavallo from Fulham and um, a fullback from uh, Aberdeen. Uh, Ramsey. Ramsey. Ramsey, yeah. So, uh, th- and then uh, they got uh, Arthur in. United have also uh, lashed out as we've said Newcastle in the region of uh, 60 70 million for Isaac so a lot of money has been spent two billion it's a new record two billion pounds two billion pounds yes they passed the two billion mark wow it's still totting up the, um, the 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 pence because paperwork has to be vetted and all that sort of thing it, uh, it only finished um, at uh, six o'clock. Hmm. malaysian time this morning so there's one or yeah. two transfers may even get cancelled if they didn't uh, sign the forms properly
1: well i i would actually say you got it wrong there bob actually the winner was arsenal they won the uh the transfer and also i want to ask another i mean no need to answer this one is uh, with, with these clubs when their fax machines finally break down how on earth do they replace them because you can't buy a fax machine anymore so <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think Harry
4: Redknapp's got a couple, hasn't
1: he? (laughs) You have to call Harry (laughs) Redknapp. Have you got a fax machine? Uh, uh, Des, Malaysian football, what's been happening?
2: So I I can't let the transfer window go without talking about the obscenity of the money involved. I follow the football, but uh, it is an obscene amount of money, particularly when there is so much uh, going on in the world, and I will always maintain it's an obscene amount of money. There's nothing I can do about it. But let's just uh, say it's morally bankrupt. On to Malaysian football, which is uh, a lot more exciting at the moment. Um, Johor Darrell-Taksim are the best team in the league. They keep on winning. They play selangor this weekend. Uh, Johor are just 10 points away from securing a, 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 a number nine, ninth consecutive league title. Um, So they could win it on October the 1st. Next week, they take on Tringano at Bukit Jalil in the Malaysia FA Cup final. That promises to be good. Tringano have really uh, played well against them so far this season. So that's not a shoo-in for Johor. But Johor, I went to see them in in the AFC Champions League and, and they were humbled by Urara Reds, which just tells you the difference between our top players and the best in Asia urara ripped them apart it and was
1: that wasn't just a bad day was it no
2: it wasn't a bad day urara were a, a top top team they did everything really well um there was, was an they early were, they goal were
1: faster they were fitter smarter. faster
2: fitter stronger more know-how bit of everything and that's nothing against johor because johor are stand out the best in um southeast asia but the difference between the top in Asia and, and Johor is still work for the management at Johor to do. Um, but but they're on course for another title, on course for a, for an FA Cup win. But a, a quick mention also for Kuala Lumpur City because they travel to India if if they can get their visas sorted because India were banned by FIFA. And then unbanned at the tail end of last week, which meant that um, K- KL City's match against Mohen- uh, Bagan in the semi-final of the um, AFC Cup. So it's two places away from the final final. Um, so um, KL have been trying to get visas from the Indian embassy. But of course, Malaysia Day on Wednesday was closed. Then <laughs> then um, the, the players had to fly to Sabah on, for a match that they played on Thursday, which they drew to all. And they get back at five o'clock. So they won't have a chance to go to the embassy to get visas before they're scheduled to fly out on Saturday. So there could well be oh a, a postponement in that. So this is none of KL City's fault. This is all of, of, of um, uh, FIFA banning AIFF um, for a little while, then reinstating them. So there's a bit of confusion going on. But KL City flying the flag. For Malaysia in the AFC Cup is a remarkable story. They're good enough to get a result in in, in um in Calcutta at the Salt Lake Stadium. And if they do that, then they're in the uh, AFC Cup final against either a team from Uzbekistan or Eastern from Hong Kong. So kudos to those boys. Great result for them last night. But Jahor standout could win the title by October the first.
1: Yeah. Kashka, you are a coach at FC KL and uh, not KL City, but uh, uh KL City got a chance, do you think?
3: Yeah, I think so. They've been playing well this season and I think the last match they did really well. So definitely.
1: All right. Okay, well that brings us to the end of this week's show and I want to thank and commiserate and wish good luck to Bob Holmes and his band of (laughs) brand new people who don't even know each other's names at Nottingham Forest. Thank you, Bob Holmes.
4: (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, should be entertaining anyway.
1: Yeah. And uh, the only way they'll know who each other is by the names on the backs of the shirts. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's your name. And uh, thank you to Keshika Subarau.
3: Thank you for having me. Pleasure.
1: And thank you. And welcome back to Dez Corkhill.
2: And for those of us born in the great city of Liverpool, this weekend is the most important game of the season. Everton away.
1: Is it more fun to be uh, at Everton or to play at Liverpool? Which is the better atmosphere?
2: Uh, both both are both are pretty red hot, but Goodison because Goodison's closing down. This could be the penultimate um, derby, so I think it'll be a, a little bit smoking at Goodison Park. It'll okay. be fabulous, but um, but important important to win. It's great if we win; dreadful if
1: we lose. All right. Well, thank you very much. And for myself, Cam Rastlan This has been just for kicks. Our producer today has been Hanif Baharudin, and see you on Monday for another edition on BFM 89.9 city champions 2022
0: for more football tune in mondays and fridays at 8 p.m just for kicks on bfm 89.9 you have been listening to a podcast from bfm 89.9 the business station for more stories of the same kind download the bfm app